Hi, I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Here at FX Medicine, we strive to remain clinically relevant. So stay in touch with us and please let us know how we're doing. We love hearing from you. You can email info at fxmedicine.com.au or contact us via Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining me on the line today from Northern Rivers, New South Wales, is Rachel Arthur. Rachel Arthur has had wonderful teachers and mentors over the past 20 years, including Dr. Tini Gruner. Each of Rachel's past and present mentors have fed her passion for critical thinking and independent education in naturopathy, making it a focus in Rachel's ongoing career. She contributed a decade of teaching naturopathy across SSNT down in Victoria, Endeavour, Monash University, Victoria University, and lastly, Southern Cross University in Lismore, New South Wales. Rachel's family have a running joke that wherever she goes, she manages to come across her past students. They cover a wide distribution across Australia and New Zealand and encompass a range of professions, including naturopaths, doctors, and allied health professionals. Whether it's circulating free weekly blogs to her professional peers about important topics she's just discovered that can improve the way we practice, being a key speaker at the major integrative medical conferences or co-founding the extraordinary Australian Naturopathic Summit, Rachel sees every platform as an opportunity to improve the knowledge base of the naturopathic and integrative professional community as well as to raise the standing of our profession by virtue of hopefully, and I'll say definitely, being a worthy ambassador. Welcome, Rachel, to FX Medicine. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Andrew. And I will doubly say definitely, because you have impressed me for, gosh, it would be over a decade now. <laughs> and, That's good, you know. <laughs> and the thing that I liked from the very start was... You were very methodological in your approach, but one of the things that I saw in, I'm going to be, I'm going to be mean here, in a profession tainted by industry is that you couldn't be bought. And that's always, I loved, I loved that about you. Thanks, Andrew. Yes, I, I think that, you know, um, if, if that's the, uh, the lasting impression you have that I can't be bought, then then I've succeeded at least at least in that regard, which is fantastic. And we need more like I you. Think, yeah, I think I think we do need more people like us because I think naturopathy, naturopathic medicine, really deserves to be as good as it can be. And I think sometimes vested interests hold us back. It's not just criticism from without. Um, you know, from people beyond our industry that holds naturopathy back. I think sometimes it is, you know, um, lesser quality evidence or, or kind of, you know, the wrong sort of guidance that we're getting from vested interests within as well. And mm. I think that, that that tends to steer us off course sometimes. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this is one thing that gets me as a registered nurse. Can we please just think about the patient for a while? But it's, yeah. uh, as you say, you know, we're drawn off track so so often. And uh, mm. I was talking to Ruth Tricky um, not too long ago, retired, happily, <laughs> but 
But she was saying, if I hear the word naturopathic industry one more time, I'm going to scream. It's the naturopathic profession. You should hold yourselves in high regard. You should protect it with the honour which it deserves. And this is what I love about you. You really treat your naturopathic base as an honorary thing, as a, almost a custodial thing that you help patients with and, and indeed now help your, your um, colleagues with. So well done. I, th I think the onus is upon us to look after it. Nobody else is going to look after the naturopathic profession for us. You know, there's, there's nothing in it for anybody else, really. Mm. Um, and I think that that's where we have to take some responsibility and steer the profession in the best direction, whether that's about, you know, the way that we choose to practice, the way that we represent ourselves in the public forum, the way that we educate ourselves, all of those things, the, the bars that we set for our own, you know, that we should be setting for our own profession. I think it really, really has to come from within mm. and that's the best place for it to come from, the people who really care about us, you know, and about the progression of naturopathic medicine. That's not going to be anybody outside of actually a collection of the best practitioners so where I've got to ask, were you always this inquisitive and questioning of not not just your surroundings, not just your knowledge, but also I'm getting the idea that you might have been one who questioned authority from very early days. Well, did you get in <laughs> trouble a lot? Where did you get that idea from? <laughs> <laughs> have you been chatting to my father? Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, when, when you know, people ask me this question about why I ended up in naturopathy in the first place, mm. I think that for all of us, probably a degree of maverick, you know, the idea of being a maverick resonates quite strongly of being an independent thinker. You know, there was probably a characteristic that most of us share that attracted us to the profession in the first place. And I think that you know, for me, that, that certainly was there, you know, and lo and behold, when I left my, when I left high school and I just started kind of, you know, wanderingly, wandering aimlessly through Australia, I landed, of course, in the Northern Rivers area in good old Byron Bay and oh. nothing fueled that more than um, landing in this region where I went, oh, okay, this, this isn't just a me thing. This is a whole, you know, movement of people who question, you know, the mainstream, who practice alternative thinking and, you know, um, and that, that certainly really appealed to me. Yeah. I think put, put that together with the fact that, you know, so that's sort of my value set is, is independent thought and, and, uh, you know, questioning uh, everything, but put that together with my skill set, which I already knew when I left high school really was science, then I thought, oh, gosh, well, you know, that's a funny sort of marriage, or not really, it's a pretty natural sort of marriage because science is, uh, you know, innately inquisitive and questions everything. Yes. But, uh, you know, if I wanted to work in health and question everything, then naturopathy seems like the obvious love child of that marriage, really. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how the marriage of the values and the skills came together. Did an appreciation for natural medicine come from your parents or was this something that was vastly different from what their stance was? No, absolutely. Was? I, I joke all the time with my kids where, you know, whenever they think they've got it tough, 
um, and grandma would be so much more generous with them. I think, well, grandma may be generous, but let me tell you as a mum, uh, <laughs> you know, she was pretty much, you know, brown paper bag, health food store shopping all our lives. Right. You know, everything was made from scratch. And she had a very healthy inner compass about, you know, what was good food, what was good health, what was, you know, healthy sort of practice. And she adhered to that very, very strongly when we were growing up. You know, God forbid I should end up um, following the path that my mother set. You know, none of us intend to do that really. But, you know, there's no doubt that that imprinted on me very strongly where I went, okay, you know, um, I really identify with, you know, making conscious choices around you know, how to live well and how to do things that promote our health and how to avoid things that detract from it. And then, you know, grow, you know, um, ending up with the knowledge to really substantiate those ideas and develop them a lot further, you know, sort of brought me to this place now. Yeah. There's one thing about your education at um, Southern Cross University, and that is that you were of the the cohorts, dare I say that word, um, that were taught by Professor Stephen Myers. And there really is something different about these these naturopaths that have come out of Southern Cross Uni that were taught by him or under his leadership. What was it that was different? Well, I think for a start, um, just to make a minor correction, I, I wasn't directly taught by Stephen. Stephen was one of my thesis supervisors um, um, together with uh, Dr. Tini Gruner and uh, Holly Muggleston as well. Yep. Um, but I certainly had quite a bit of contact with Stephen and, you know, he was obviously very influential in the setup of that degree program at Southern Cross University and then he had a lot of amazing teachers come in, um, you know, together with him and underneath him to really, um, you know, deliver the, the vision that he had about that course. I have to agree with you in the sense that I think what Southern Cross University did very well, um, certainly in the early days, was develop a course and therefore produce graduates that really appreciated and practiced critical thinking. Mm. And I think that, you know, I remember a great cartoon actually that um, I used to put up you know, when I used to teach, which is, you know, uh, a teacher, a lecturer standing over a student, uh, you know, who's, who's sitting at a keyboard and it says, just press this to learn critical thinking. You know, <laughs> right. cri- te- teaching critical thinking is incredibly difficult, actually. Yes. Yeah. And and um, getting people to appreciate its value and to be able to go out there and practice it is, is no mean feat. But I think whatever the the special mix was at Southern Cross University, they managed to succeed at doing that. And so, uh, you know, certainly um, as a general trend across their graduates, I would say that that's really evident in the way that they approach naturopathic medicine and in the careers that have followed, you know. um, I think, you know, any tertiary institution that teaches naturopathy can produce um, outstanding graduates, and I've certainly seen them come from all institutions. I do think probably Southern Cross had had more than their fair share of of, of outstanding graduates who've oh. gone on to do pretty remarkable things. Um, and uh, you know, to me, it's so sad that it's no longer being taught. Um, you know, particularly when you've got 
the likes of people like Paul Oreck, you know, Viv Griffiths teaching acupuncture, um, Tini teaching naturopathy. There were so many great lecturers there. Um, and there yes. was such a, 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 it was a hot pot of resources. It really was. Yes. And it is, I think, one of the big issues too, you know, when we're talking about the real dearth of independent education and independent resources for naturopaths currently, you know, one of the things we have to even look to is, you know, um, who's behind the undergraduate education. So when it was at the university, you know, that was independent. Um, Now that it's only being taught, uh, the undergraduate is only being offered through private colleges, that already, you know, uh, changes that landscape quite dramatically where you say, well, is, you know, are there other influences coming in in terms of, you know, changing the quality of that undergraduate education? And in fact, you know, I've had discussions with people who work in that field of um, course development um, in those private colleges, and they feel that the very nature of naturopathy is being changed um, because of, you know, you know, all sorts of other um, determinants that have nothing to do with uh, where naturopathy came from, what we practice as naturopaths now in the current day. It, it's about financial things or it's about, you know, other confounders that really shouldn't be messing with the curriculum. So, you know, it is very sad that it's no longer being taught in a university, uh, at a, in a university in Australia, because I think that was something that helped to protect, to a certain extent, the identity of um, naturopathic uh, medicine and, and certainly, as you say, under some of those really um, important guardians that we had there. I, I I do like the way though that um, at least one of the colleges has now got a university. It's not a chair; it's an office of research um, uh, that's aligned with uh, University of Technology Sydney. Yeah. Um, and they're doing. I got to say, they're doing good things. But I do take your point that there is this issue about what's driving the the educational curriculum. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's a question. It's just something that we need to remain mindful of um, about, yeah, about who's who's writing that curriculum, steering that curriculum and based on what. So with regards to um, feeling that you were prepared after you'd finished your initial course at, at Southern Schools of Natural Therapy, um, that being one of the private colleges, how then did you feel regarding your migration to um, SCU? with regards to preparedness for practice? Um, In terms of feeling prepared for practice, when I finished my undergraduate, I think I felt um, optimistic and Mm. I felt very excited, but I think I felt um, I experienced something that most graduates do, which is feeling, you know, incredibly inept at the same time and undercooked. Um, Because there is such a quantum leap, of course, between you know, sitting and listening to theory and uh, and passing exams for, you know, four years, a brief period of supervision in a student clinic, mm. and then, you know, suddenly this great quantum leap out into the real world. Um, I, you know, so I think like most people, you know, that that is, uh, feels a little bit like free-falling to begin with, mm. particularly because I think, um, you know, <laughs> 
I, you know, I enjoyed everything really well. That's probably a big fat lie. I'm sure there are some things I really didn't enjoy <laughs> about being at Southern School of Natural Therapies, but on the whole, it was a great course with great teachers. And but one thing that I really enjoyed was certainly um, being supervised in clinic yeah. because, of course, this is where you get the synthesis of ideas. Um, you start to really uh, test the water with some of your ideas, not just on the patients, but you really get to talk, um, you know, as an equal with your clinic supervisor. Well, that was certainly the positive experience I had mm-hmm. in my undergraduate. And, you know, that obviously is something that is extended in other professions, whether it's pharmacy or whether it's medicine, that opportunity for supervision, mentorship, you know, internship is, you know, has a formal structure around it that yeah. goes on for a lot longer than we were privy to in, yeah. um, in the undergraduate for naturopathy. So for me, walking away and going, oh, I was just really getting into that and really starting to benefit from supervisors who had been in practice for 10 to 20 years, um, you know, to walk away from that and then say, over you and you're on your own, mm. um, that's pretty daunting, I think, for most people. And more to the point, it's not ideal. And, and the whole idea that new graduates go out and effectively try to reinvent the wheel themselves is just such a nonsensical model yeah. for the naturopathic profession. Mm. It, yeah. it, nothing, nothing um, I, I think there's no greater shame than not having a defined structure, a support structure to lean on to have as part of the study of naturopathy like, for instance, you know, a pharmacist has pre-reg, a GP has the internship, uh, me as an RN, I remember the probation period. You know, they, they all had that sort of supervisory um, t- time given that they had full responsibility. So there was always somebody to lean on, to learn from, to watch over your shoulder, to make sure you're doing, you know, safe practice and best practice for your patients. Um, mm. So I guess we're going to leap from here into that you've developed a mentorship program and I think this is so critical for naturopaths to have. So what drove yeah. you to developing the mentorship program? I think the biggest thing really is the sense that um, I think there's an unfortunate sense sometimes, not amongst all people, but sometimes out there amongst the naturopathic community of a need um, to protect territory, if yeah. that makes sense. Yes. You know, I've discovered this thing and I'm going to protect it because if I share it, somehow it's a threat to my sustainability in practice or my sustainability in business. Um, and probably, um, you know, I would have subscribed to that too when I first graduated, not not knowing any any differently. But, you know, over the years, what has probably impressed me the most has been those people who I've had contact with who have been outrageously successful because they kept sharing, actually, Um, so because they did the opposite. And, um, you know, the whole idea was, you know, if I've learnt this, I want to pass this on to you because why wouldn't I? Mm. Um, Then we all take a step forward. And then I know also that um, I open up the channels of communication and, you know, you'll pass information 
um, back to me and, you know, we'll, we'll see a, a bi-directional gain. Um, so really, you know, I think for me uh, it was this notion that um, that everybody should be benefiting from kind of the knowledge of people who've gone before them. Yeah. Um, I would hate to graduate now and, and you know, not know what I've learned, you know, what I've managed to pick up in the last 20 years. I've learned a lot since graduating and I don't see why anybody needs to go and learn that for themselves, mm. you, know, to, you know, to take 20 years themselves to go and learn that as well. Um, of course, there are some things we can only learn, you know, the hard way and, and do that ourselves. But there's a lot, actually, um, that we can add to the undergraduate knowledge that would really improve the whole standing of naturopathic professionals. Um, and and I think that we all recognise, as you said, whether it's nursing, whether it's pharmacy, whether it's medicine, you know, people graduate and they say, I feel like, you know, all my learning came afterwards. Mm. And I say, that's normal. That mm. That's how health works. No undergraduate in the world can teach you, no undergraduate degree in the world can encompass it all. Mm. The learning does have to go on, but there are clever ways to do that. And I think that really is through sharing, you know, sharing the wisdom and really being exposed to the best of our profession by people who are a few steps ahead of you or maybe many, many steps ahead of you offering a hand up yeah. and saying, look, you know, in retrospect, I've learned these things and, and this will really help you. So that was probably the major motivator behind um, offering mentoring mm. because, as you know, Andrew, I've delivered education for a long time, as you said, both in tertiary institutions and also at conferences and things like that. And that's all wonderful stuff and I really enjoy it, but it is theoretical and I, it, it, it misses the mark in terms of that sort of very potent um, synergistic learning experience that the best sort of clinical supervision offers. Mm. You know, so you can we can all sit and talk theory, um, and it's really helpful, and it's good that we know that. But I really think accelerated learning comes from application, and so the mentorship program. Um, and the mentoring that I offer is all about application. You know, um, it's all case-based and it's watching us, you know, uh, from, the, you know, doing case studies and doing them from the ground up. Yeah. The patient walks into the room. This is how they presented. These are their blood. This is their blood work. And then what are the questions that we need to ask and what are the differentials that came up? And, you know, it, it's the application, I think, that we – got a little bit, most of us feel that we got a little bit shortchanged on. You know, one of the things that I remember nowadays is um, um, assisting an orthopaedic surgeon um, when I was nursing. And he, and he was known for being rather brash and, and everybody disliked, well, most people disliked him. I don't know what it was, but he seemed, I, we, I got on well with him. And, um, and he said, so what have you learned? And uh, I didn't know how to answer that question. It took me decades <laughs> to yeah. to realise that he was talking. He wasn't asking me what I had actually learned. He was saying, what was the conceptual sort of framework that, you would, that you'd learned from doing nursing? And uh, I mm -hmm. think the thing that it taught me, that my course taught me, was actually how to learn. 
Um, mm. Of course, it then takes, as you say, the application. I've got to disagree with you on one thing, though, and that was you you talk about uh, the talks and lectures that you've done at conferences, uh, mainly on a conceptual sort of um, platform, if you like. I have to disagree with you. You gave one of these standout lectures at the recent Mind Conference in Sydney. It was so practically based. It was so clinically appropriate that every single practitioner in that room took a bang, bang, bang approach, uh, a bang, bang, bang lesson from your talk. And they, it was something that you could package up, take home and bang, implement it the next day in clinic. And that's one of the things that really impressed me about you. It's this pragmatic get out of the way, I'm busy sort of thing, approach to patient <laughs> health. <laughs> but it it's is very a very, pra very pragmatically I, I, I think based. think my kids would agree with yes. you. <laughs> so. But look, Andrew, I, I'm, I'm really pleased that you say that because I think that delivering education and mentoring is a real skill and I think that it's a skill that I continue to work on myself. I don't think that, um, you know, uh, I don't think that, you know, I've mastered it yet. I'll let you know if I ever do. But but what you've said there is something that um, is really important to me and helps me whether I'm mentoring people one-on-one, -on -one, whether I'm doing my group program, my mentorship program, whether I'm speaking at conferences, I always ask myself, what the hell are they going to do with this information? Yeah. If they cannot, if it's all just pontificating and they go, and I've said this at times, if, the, if someone in the audience walks away and says, wow, she's amazing, then I've actually failed because it's not about wowing people with information. We can all do that. Mm. That's actually really easy to do. Mm. What I really think is priority number one is empowerment. So if, you know, one of the things that steers my development of every educational thing I deliver is I ask myself, what are they going to do differently tomorrow? Have you given them something concrete yeah. that they can go out and say, I got that. I know exactly. Yep. That's a different test. That's a different perspective. I'm going to change that dose. I'm going to whatever. And I've got something very, very practical to, to pass out. So I'm pleased to hear you say that because I think that, you know, um, that is such, that, that's the privilege and the honour of being an educator and it's something that um, not everybody adheres to but I think it's really important. If somebody's given you the honour of electing for you to be their mentor or, you know, paying to come and see you, then you have to really make sure that you meet them where they're at, that you give them something that's immediately accessible and relevant to their practice, um, and, you know, they can clearly turn around and use that tomorrow. So, mm. you know, I'm, I'm pleased that, that I hit the mark when, mm. when you saw me at mine. Oh, you do. And one of the things I, I do respect you most for is your intense curiosity. And it's not just about the condition, but I can almost see your mind ticking you know, questioning even yourself. And to me, it, it just rings true that it's for the benefit of your patients that you're seeing right in front of you with that condition. How can you help that person there? How do you culture that intense curiosity in those that you're mentoring? Well, I think one of the big things is giving people 
helping people to develop or to have confidence in their critical thinking. So saying to people, reminding people that naturopathy is essentially, and certainly naturopathic diagnosis mm. is way, way, way outside of the box, yep. right? There's what there's no RCT, as much as I love scientific studies, as you'll know, I'm a mm. bit of a nerd, mm. but there's no uh, randomized clinical trial on your patient in front of you anywhere. No. There's no randomized clinical trial that you can look at that has the very specific combination of factors in your patient that's sitting in front of you that mm. says, we know how to treat this. So every time you see a patient, they are unique and you have to sit down and create that unique you know, perspective about the naturopathic differentials and the mainstream differential diagnoses and you have to you know, develop that deeper understanding about biochemically what's really going on for them and psychosocially and all those sorts of things. So by saying to people, this is essentially why you got into naturopathy and reminding people that, you know, we don't believe in a one-size-fits-all. We don't believe in protocols because if we did, we would have gone and done another uh, degree. Hmm. Naturopathy really, in essence, is all about individual individuality, individual biochemistry, and, you know, really getting people to have confidence in their ability to recognize those flags for, you know, markers of that individual biochemistry and being able to pin things together. You know, I'm a big fan of crazy mind maps and spidergrams and really helping other practitioners to get confidence in their ability to pull all those seemingly disconnect dots together and say, yes, here's that individual sitting in front of me. Here's their unique kind of milieu. And I really can see the sense in how it interrelates and where to start in terms of treatment. So it's really just bringing people away from you know, I call them the barring masses and I mean, that's a terrible term, but I really mean it that, you know, some conferences, company, um, back conferences in Australia feel like, you know, we're herding sheep, you know, what, you know, when people are kind of thrown a protocol and told to repeat the protocol and let's go through the protocol again. I mean, that is really the antithesis of naturopathic medicine. Naturopathic medicine is all about individuality and so with all my mentees, and I'm so lucky to mentor, just remind them of that, bring them back to the individual in the room and really get them to develop their competence and confidence around reading blood tests, you know, looking for clues in the case taking, mm. you know, piecing all of it together to understand that, you know, this, this is someone that you know, is totally unique and they have to uh, therefore develop a unique plan for. And I I think that most people really fly with that. You know, that's certainly been my experience is um, they just needed more examples, more a longer period of supervision where they could apply the synthesis of ideas because on your own, taking that leap from theory into practice it's pretty easy to fall down in between. What about the therapeutic use of self-doubt? 
and and I, I guess I, I guess I should explain this. Um, you know, I've had friends say, no, you shouldn't say the word self-doubt. You should say the word reassessment. I actually prefer the use of self-doubt because it tends to keep you more honest. <laughs> um, yeah. And I know that's a sort of negative, a, what do you call it, a double negative, but I, I actually have that sort of thing. Am I really seeing what's real or am I just seeing what I'd like to see? Um, mm. How do you teach people that skill? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, um, gee, I don't know how I teach people that skill specifically, probably by modelling it myself. Mm. I'm very good at saying, oh, you know, I re- this is really not my strength. I'll yeah. say that. And I, I said that uh, to somebody, I think, yesterday in the yeah. mentoring session where I said, we may need to call on a higher force. <laughs> um, this is not my area. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, you know, modeling humility and in doing that and modeling limitation and yeah. saying no one can know everything and anyone that says that they do, give them a very wide berth. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> well um, said. I would. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that I have to say too um, about that, I mean, I actually think that you raise an important point. I think self doubt and, um, you know, uh, knowing our limitations and knowing what is within our scope and what's beyond our scope is absolutely essential to being a good practitioner and safe practitioner as Mm. well. And I remember going back, harping back to Stephen Myers, he actually was interviewed, I think it was on on a local ABC radio, and um, he was asked the question, you know, because he was, you know, being put in the position of being the spokesperson for the entire naturopathic profession. profession. Yeah. And he was asked the question, uh, you know, how, how do you choose a good naturopath? And um, I think that question came as a little bit of a surprise for him. And he thought about it for a while. And he said, the first thing I would do is I would ask them um, what their limitations are or what they can't treat. Ooh. And he said, and if they say, and if that person um, didn't uh, offer up any limitations or said, you know, didn't offer up any um, kind of conditions or systems that they couldn't treat, he said, I would walk out the door. Mm. Um, and for me, that was very poignant because I thought, I don't know why there is this sort of, you know, I don't know what it is, whether there's, I don't know if it's like a... Um, it's a fear of it. To you know, me, it's a fear of interreferral because of l- loss of business. Um, well, is it? Or yeah, it could be. Absolutely, it could be something very practical like that. I wonder if also there's something a little bit um, about you know people's feeling that um, they're going to look bad. It's a failing on their behalf. Oh. Um, you know, that that it diminishes their credibility yeah. in people's eyes. Yeah. Nothing could be not further from the truth. No, not at all. One of the things I say to my mentees and my students all the time is, you know, when people come in with an exotic condition or an exotic drug, I'll be straight up and I'll say, I've never heard of that before. <laughs> I'm sure you know more about that than I do. Um, you know, I'm going to need to do some homework. And rather than that being received negatively, um, I always find that people respond to that very, very positively where they go, 
great. Mm. You're going to go and do some homework. And, you know, um, and also, you you know, you validate their knowledge about something as well. That's right. learn from that at the same time so you know I think I think we have to um, try and you know see that that knowing your your limitations is actually a real strength mm. and I think that that's something that we need to keep practicing you know I think you've touched on something very important there about um, giving power automatically back to the patient um, mm. that that oftentimes they do know quite a bit about their condition. They've had to because that's mm. why they're seeing you. They've, they haven't been treated well with previous, mm. let's say it's a previous model. I don't know. But, but you know, whatever's gone before hasn't worked for them. That's why they're on your doorstep. I, and I see no shame in saying, God, <laughs> don't know anything here. I mean, I, the more I learn, the more ignorant I feel. And I've often said mm. this, the day that you think you know it all, hang up your shing- shingle because you've just become arrogant. Um, mm. Go and do something else. Um, it, it's something that really concerns me when I, I've, and I have heard a number of practitioners, both medical and um, complementary, integrative, whatever you'd like to term it, um, Say, I know you, I can't learn anything more. I know all there is to know. I'm oh, um, bye. <laughs> As you say, yeah. wide berth. That's a worry. <laughs> Very yeah. wide berth. That's a real worry. There's too much to that's know. Right. The more idiotic yeah. I feel and, every day. And and I think that that's probably a good litmus test for all of us. You know, if you're finding yourself, because, you know, as um, naturopathic practitioners, we do a hell of a lot of talking to our patients. And, you know, I hear practice say, I feel like a broken record. I say the same things over and over. And look, some of that is unavoidable because, of course, nobody's eating enough vegetables and everybody's (laughs) eating the wrong carbohydrates. So, you know, there are some things that we're going to say over and over again. But if you find that suddenly everybody looks like a a nail, then you need to check that you're not a hammer. (laughs) You know, if everybody's got high cortisol or, you know, low progesterone or whatever, you know, a methylation issue, then I think you've really got to take that um, as a cue to step back and ask yourself whether you need to freshen up. Um, Prescriptive therapy. Yeah, and I do that as much as anybody else. This year I took on myself a new mentor, you know, and booked myself in for formal mentoring sessions because for me I thought, oh, there's this one, you know, I've got a whole bunch of them on a list, but, you know, there was this one particular area that I thought I really need to upskill in. I really need to learn from someone who knows a lot more than me about this. Um, You know, I think it's good practice for all of us, no matter how long you are um, working as a clinician. Yeah to keep, um, you know, refreshing your knowledge. And I think that that does need to have a healthy dose that comes from non-commercial sources because, you know, that's a big hotspot for me. That's a big touchy zone for me where I go, you know, if all your upskilling comes from uh, company-based conferences, seminars, webinars, then you're actually at risk of being misinformed. You've actually got to really question whether, um, you know, that is the best quality information. Mm. And, and that is a situation that a lot of practitioners are in. And, and you know, uh, from my research, which I conducted in my thesis, you know, we found that uh, I think it was, you know, 86% of people were using a particular product 
Um, they, uh, you know, acknowledged that they had learnt about this product from the company that manufactures and sells it, um, that that's where they'd learnt it from. And then in a subsequent question, I asked them to what to provide the evidence. they felt. <laughs> well, no, I said to what extent did they feel that commercial influences um, impacted their practice choices? Right. And these practitioners overwhelmingly said, not at all. Oh, really? And absolutely. And this is an extraordinary, I mean, this is the thing about research is, you know, sometimes you look for the, you know, you look for the things that perfectly add up and substantiate, you know, your hypothesis and you go, yes, one plus one equals two and I've just proved that. And sometimes you look for the glaring anomalies and that was the big anomaly in my research was that, you know, overwhelmingly people had learnt about this particular product from industry sources mm. and then on a subsequent question they refuted, they denied that uh, industry sources influenced their practice choices at all. And, you know, that was one of those things. I was like, wow, well, how is this any different from all the published data that speaks to this phenomenon in the medical fraternity yes, because that's right. there is there are an enormous <laughs> number of studies that have found that all doctors have to do is walk into a conference where they pass the banner, you know, with a name on it, or pick up a pen, a pen. that has a, a company name on it, drug manufacturer's name on it, and their prescription of that company's drugs will go up. That is overwhelmingly hmm. an established phenomenon. And the same um, naivety in terms of, no, you know, I'm not influenced by industry has been, again, documented extensively hmm. um, amongst doctors. So, you know, when I found this in my research back in uh, at SDU, I was like, gosh, you know, this isn't being talked about. This needs to be talked about. Because it's not that we can't use industry sources. Um, that's an important, you know, um, part of industry. But it's that if we don't recognise the influence and the power that they have, then we're not going to look for independent sources or value independent sources more highly, which is what we should be doing. Um, and, you know, that, that really concerns me because, as I said, there's not a lot of independent sources uh, of, of education in Australia. You get mentorship yourself. You constantly question yourself. Mm. What do you teach those whom you mentor? What do you teach them once they're finished with your mentorship about how to go out into the world and practice? Well, I think, you know... Um, I think they they learn, as I said, by virtue of the modelling. So they mm -hmm. see me rack my brains over their difficult client cases, and we we bounce ideas off each other. So you know they're they're bearing witness to that process yeah. of you know deduction and critical thinking and and uh, you know the synthesis of ideas, all of that together. I think one of the things that comes across very clearly as part of that process is the need to, you know, get, you know, to to put uh, greater reliance on on primary sources of information rather than secondary or tertiary, and really helping 
practitioners to feel confident about how to find those primary sources that mm-hmm. are really relevant and really accessible to them. Yep. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we talk about in terms of solving this conundrum of, of um, you know, bias is just helping people to, one, know it exists. As you said, that could be in, a, you know, uh, the bias could be just, because of the speaker's bias, you know, uh, uh, you know, not a necessarily a company, um, but one knowing that it exists, and two, looking or specifically asking the questions that help them to elucidate what that bias actually is. Right. Um, you know, I think that there's not enough um, there's not enough transparency um, a lot of the time in Australia when it comes to people declaring conflicts of interest, declaring their disclaimers. Mm. That's something I talk about a lot when I'm talking, when I'm doing my mentorship program. You know, if I mention a particular product, for example, I'll say the reason why I'm mentioning this product is because it is familiar to me. I am not saying, for example, that it's better than, you know, X, Y, and Z other products. I don't have experience in that area. Or even in sometimes I'll say, you know, I'm talking about this product, but, you know, you all know that um, this is a product that I'm more familiar with because I've worked with this company. So I think, you know, um, just encouraging people to really, um, practitioners to really know how to judge the quality hmm. of the the source, you know, whether it's written, whether it's verbal, whether it's whatever, but helping them to really think through is there a bias here? What would that bias be? And and factoring that in then on the weight that they place on that evidence. I think, you know, that is something that comes across very clearly through the program. Now, we have to mention that program because it's pertinent, and that is rachelarthur.com.au. So, Rachel, I've got to thank you so much for not just taking us through what a mentorship, indeed your mentorship program does, but teaching our listeners to constantly, constantly question what they think is right, indeed what they think is in front of them, for the benefit of the patient in front of them. And that, I think, is a real true lesson that we can take home from all of your teachings, is that you have the patient in mind. So very well done, and thank you so much for joining us on FX Medicine today. Thanks, Andrew. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Traditional Medicine Society. Don't forget to visit fxmedicine.com.au for today's show notes, extra research and other resources.